Welcome to today's Power Up Your Presence podcast. I'm Diane Craig. And I'm Sandra Corelli. We have designed each and every episode to help you power up, step up, and lead up your presence. A mix of stories, tips, insights, and conversations with trailblazers who speak candidly about their journey to leadership. On today's episode, we are thrilled to welcome Dr. Greg Wells to discuss the ripple effect for epidemics that impact your performance. Dr. Greg Wells, CEO and founder of The Wells Group, is your guide to high-performance life. As a scientist and physiologist, his gift is to translate science into actionable and effective life tips. Using the latest research on the brain and body, Dr. Wells and his team provide simple but transformative strategies to boost your mental and physical health, advance your career, and upgrade your life. Dr. Wells has spoken to audiences all over the world at events such as TEDx and the Titan Summit where he shared the stage with Richard Branson, Steve Wozniak, and Deepak Chopra. Dr. Wells is author of three best-selling books, Superbodies, The Ripple Effect, and The Focus Effect. Dr. Wells has a PhD in physiology, served as associate professor of kinesiology at the University of Toronto, as an, and is an exercise medicine researcher at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto. Welcome, Dr. Wells. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. This is going to be great. We're thrilled to have you on the show today and it's a great way to kick off the week. I was excited all weekend yes, knowing that absolutely. we'd be speaking with you first thing on a Monday morning. And I've had the opportunity to hear you speak on numerous occasions as well. I, I've read both of your books, The Ripple Effect and The Focus Effect. And every time I hear you speak or watch one of your videos or refer back to your book, I always get a little more inspiration from you and learn something new. So I know our listeners will definitely be inspired by you today and, and definitely take away something. Cool, thanks. To start, can you share with us what brought you to where you are today? <clears throat> um, first of all, I've been speaking a ton, so my voice is shredded. <laughs> so I apologize in advance for how my voice sounds, but uh, it's been a long journey, but it's been a lot of fun. It, I think it started when I was 15, uh, I was a competitive swimmer and uh, I was at a training camp in Florida and got injured in a wave, broke my neck. That sparked my interest in human performance and health. Uh, I, I went, got back into swimming after neurosurgery and, and reconstruction of the neck and a lot of physio. I took kinesiology in my undergrad uh, and then started consulting after my uh, undergrad was over rapidly encountered the fact that I didn't have enough education to be doing the things that I was doing. So went back and did a master's PhD that led to a postdoc at Toronto General and Sick Kids. And all through that time, I was consulting with the Canadian Olympic Committee to help their athletes perform better. So I got to travel the world. That led to a couple uh, opportunities to, to um, what do they call it? Uh, oh my gosh, commentate on the Olympics for 2010 yes. and 2012. That led to the Superbodies book and then the Ripple Effect book and speaking. And uh, and then along the way, got married, had two kids. And you know, mm -hmm. here, here we are today. <laughs> Wonderful. Crazy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Such a great story. And and one of the stories that I love is one that I heard in one of your videos. And it's an interesting story of two world champion kayakers, Adam and Anders. Can you recount that story for our listeners? Yeah, for sure. So um I was down in again in Florida training uh with Adam Van Coorden, one of Canada's top athletes, historically four consecutive Olympic Games medals and three of them world record holder, world champion. Uh and right in right before the London Olympics, he was in Florida training and it was I had got a chance to do some physiology work with him on a very difficult set. And so he was training with Anders Gustafsson that day from Sweden. They were number one and number two in the world at the time. Uh, in addition to doing all the blood work, taking the heart rates, uh, dodging dolphins in the Zodiac, which was just super fun. I managed to snap a few pictures and when I got home at night, I was looking through my shots and saw just such a beautiful image of the two of them side by side. And as soon as I saw the image, I was like, I think Adam's going to win the Olympics. And the difference was all in the tension of the two athletes. They were going the mm -hmm. exact same speed, yet Adam was going fast and Anders was going hard. So Adam's face is relaxed, his tongue is hanging out of his mouth, his mouth is open, so he's breathing, but he's leaning forwards. And Anders, at that time, was really tense. He was gripping the paddle really hard. His face looked super stressed. Uh, and so it was a really 
interesting dichotomy between the two athletes, given that they were going the exact same speed, but doing it in two completely different ways. Um, Adam was fast and relaxed, whereas Andres was, was just simply working really, really hard. And I believe that that state predicts performance because when you're in the state that Adam was in, that enables you to enter what's known as the zone or the flow state. Mm-hmm. And when you're stressed and tense and anxious, that makes it really hard for you to reach your potential uh, consistently over time. And sure enough, uh, a few months later at the Olympics, Adam won a silver medal and Andres came seventh. Uh, so it, it was very predictive of, of their performance, but uh, a super interesting moment just from an insight perspective about the fact that we can all probably do things better during the course of the day and just be more relaxed while doing them. And that's actually the key to world-class performance and health. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love that story as well. And I, and I think the, the even the pictures Uh, the picture that you show uh, is very is very insightful. You know, we can put ourselves back into a moment where we're relaxed and or if we're stressed and how it does affect our performance and our ability to think more clearly. In uh, your work and research, you focus on what you call the four interrelated grand epidemics, sleeping, sleeplessness, obesity, inactivity, and mental illness. And these are all elements that are causing people to struggle on a daily basis. You've developed the STEM pathway, which stands for sleep soundly, think clearly, eat smarter, and move more. Let's start with uh, the importance of sleep. Why is our sleep? so important because i know you know like getting the the seven or eight hours sleep that are recommended is really difficult you know we work hard we sometimes you know we work all day we get home we have dinner a little bit of time with family work some more then before you know it's one o'clock and then you're supposed to get up early and how so why is it so important that we do get that sleep Well, it's so important because sleep is the foundation for human health and performance. We know that when we sleep well, the brain literally washes itself out. That was research done by Jeff Illiff. If you want to check that out, just search Jeff Illiff and his TED Talk. Uh, he's done some amazing work in that space to discover that at night when we sleep, our neurons shrink and cerebral spinal fluid washes through the brain tissue to clear out waste products like amyloid plaques that contribute to Alzheimer's disease. So we know that sleep is essential for our brain to recover and to regenerate. We also know that we learn when we sleep, new neurons grow. We create new memories, which is connections between neurons inside the brain. All of that happens at night when we sleep. We also know that we release growth hormone when we sleep. And growth hormone heals and repairs tissues inside the body. So if you want to be healthier and physically better, then sleep is the mechanism through which you can actually train with your eyes closed, which is kind of cool. And if you want to eat better, the hormones that control your appetite and satiety, leptin and ghrelin, are regulated when we sleep. So you can imagine mm. or probably recollect that when you've had a bad night's sleep, you're probably not eating all that well the next day versus if you've had a great night's sleep, you feel clear, sharp focus, and you can make good food decisions. So for me, it all starts with sleep. And I think that there's very clear data that shows mm. that there's a link between sleep and depression, sleep and anxiety, sleep and cancer, sleep and heart disease. So it's definitely something that wow. we need to take a little bit more seriously. Mm. And and for me, it really resonated. And I'm sure that it it will for anyone who reads your book or listening to this podcast. Um, many of us actually do have trouble sleeping soundly. It's one thing to go to bed, but then, you know, you need to sleep soundly. Sometimes feels like our brain just won't stop, right? Like it, it just keeps on working and thinking. Can you give us some tips perhaps that could help us get a better sleep, a sounder sleep? Yeah, for sure. And um, with deep love and respect, uh, Dan, I'm going to actually challenge you on something that you said during the intro to this question. You described your day, which is like work, 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 go <laughs> home, have some time with your family, get things sorted, have dinner. And then you said work some more and then get eventually we get to sleep, right? And it's that work some more that's the issue. Mm. And the reason why is because when whatever you do in the hour before you fall asleep at night will program your subconscious, your brain, uh, and that is what you will end up thinking about and replaying as your brain creates memories while you sleep. 
So I need everybody to defend their last hour. I really want us to think about mm. doing things that allow us to downshift, calm down, and create a barrier between the day and when you actually fall asleep at night. And that is why, you know, if we don't defend our last hour, that is why we wake up in the middle of the night with our minds racing because you're trying to, your brain's trying to sort out all that information that you just put into it to decide whether or not it gets stored in memories and, or whether or not to get rid of it. And so if we can defend that last hour, if you can take a hot bath, if you can do some meditation, if you can read fiction, uh, anything that enables you to downshift and calm down, ideally not looking at your devices, that gives you the best chance of actually sleeping soundly. And so that's that concept of defending your last hour, I believe that's going to make the biggest difference for people in terms of their ability to actually get some decent sleep. I love the way you say it. Defend your last hour. I know. I love it too. And I, I am guilty of not doing a good job. I would you guys miss. have heard me speak. <laughs> yes. Of defending my last not hour. Yeah. I, I, I am happy to I'm happy to say though, I have my morning ritual down packed. It's consistent. It's my evening one that needs some work um, in defending that last ritual. I do know though for me that if I do get a good night's sleep. I will be more likely to have the energy to exercise and, as you said earlier, make better choices throughout my day. What would you say is the most powerful thing we know about the impact of exercise on our overall health? Uh, so we all know that exercise is good for us. We've heard that a million times. We know that it prevents cancer. We know that it prevents cardiovascular disease. Uh, we know that it makes you fitter. We know that it burns percent body fat. Like we know all of those things. It's super, very, very well established. But yet we don't often do the exercise because mm -hmm. life gets in the way and it's not a priority. And so I would love a short-term priority. It becomes a priority if we get sick. If you have a heart attack, then all of a sudden it becomes a priority and you start exercising. So I want people to do it a little bit earlier. And the way that I've found that really helps people justify Uh, taking the time to incorporate it into your day is understanding that exercise is not just about the body. It's also about the brain. And when we exercise, we actually spark the brain. Uh, a great book is Do a spark by Dr. John Rady, who wrote all about the effect of exercise on the brain. It's an incredible resource for people who want to check out more about this, but we're, we're learning that exercise improves creativity. Exercise improves problem solving. Exercise improves concentration, focus, alertness, all the things that we need to be able to get through our day more effectively uh, and more efficiently. And then we're also learning that exercise is powerful in its ability to positively affect our mental health. We're learning that exercise decreases depression or symptoms of depression, excuse me. We know that exercise can be used as a treatment for anxiety. We know that exercise in nature amplifies the effect of exercise. So doing it outdoors in the park, is something that can be even better for you. So we're learning that ex uh, exercise is really good for the body. We've known that for a while, but we're continuing to learn more. But the real advances over the last couple of years have been around the effect of exercise on brain performance and then also on our mental health. So if you want to be healthy, both physically and mentally, 15 to 60 minutes a day is going to make a huge difference for you. Yeah, and it's so true. I feel the difference. You feel that you're approaching the day not only with more energy, but with more clarity and with more focus as you're going from interaction or meetings that you're in or work that you're trying to get done. You definitely feel that you have that focus. Now, they say we need exercise at a certain percentage of our peak heart rate to get some desired results. So two questions for you. How do I find out what my peak heart rate is? And what do we accomplish with rigorous versus light cardio exercise? Got it. I would completely ignore that. It's like useless information for 99.999% of the population. If you are training for the Olympics, you need to know that information. If you're yeah. not training to win something internationally, then it's Which useless information. No, okay, so like yeah. we are admittedly, yeah. we are beyond that stage of our life and that's yes. totally fine. So 85% of the population doesn't get enough physical activity to prevent a chronic disease. That's not even to be healthy. That's just not to get sick. Mm -hmm. So that percentage of max heart rate and people measuring their heart rates and calculating how fast they're going to go and pushing themselves is useless information for 85% of the population wow. who just need to go for a walk. Right. And consider that if you walk for 15 minutes a day, 
you decrease your risk of breast cancer and colon cancer 24 to 40%. You don't need to do very much and it doesn't need to be very hard and you don't need to wear a heart rate monitor and you don't need to do any of that nonsense. You just simply need to go for a walk. Or if you wanna do some yoga, fantastic. If you wanna to go to the gym and lift weights, brilliant. If you wanna go for a run, fantastic. Go for a paddleboard, ride your bike, do some gardening, do housework. Don't, I do not care. It just, you have wow. to just start moving. Right. And then once you're moving, move a little more and then move a little bit more. And then eventually <laughs> you might get a little bit, you might register for a 5K or not. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just like, seriously, we've so overcomplicated it to make it yeah. so confusing for people. And I just want people to be physically active and, then it, and understand that different types of physical activity have different benefits for you. Uh, we, are, we are designed to walk long distances. Walking is amazing. We are also, we've evolved to take advantage of short bursts of high intensity exercise, mm -hmm. which is also incredible for us. We have evolved so that, so that our muscles uh, respond to strength training to get stronger. Uh, our When we stretch and do flexibility and mobility work, it improves at the function of our nervous system. And so all sorts of different uh, types of exercise have different effects upon the human body. So I literally don't care what you do. Um, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care how hard it is. I, I really don't because 99% of the population doesn't need to go hard. They just need to get out there and do anything. So mm. enjoy your physical activity. Do it with friends and family. Ideally, ideally do it outside. Be as consistent as you possibly can. Build it into your life. Make it easy. Make it inevitable. And you're going to reap all the benefits without worrying about heart rate zones. I don't track my heart rate zones and I'm wow. training for Ironman. So like it's irrelevant, completely irrelevant for the vast majority of people. If I was trying to win the Olympics, I would know my heart rate to the, you know, single beat, but I'm unfortunately missed that phase of my life. So <laughs> onwards and upwards. Well, thank you for yeah, uncomplicating yeah, that's right, for us. Exactly. One just keep thing moving. Think about, just yeah. keep moving. You, you also talk about how nutrition can help us uh, perform better. And um, so we know that eating smart is, is a good idea. And uh, do you, can you uh, perhaps talk a little bit about certain foods that are good before a workout or after a workout? We hear things, oh, you know, you should, uh, you know, maybe after a workout, like you need to eat within a certain period of time after you exercise, all of that, like perhaps demystify that a little bit for us. Sure. Uh, you know, and it's very similar to my previous argument. If you're trying to win the Olympics, all of that stuff matters a lot. Uh, if you're not trying to win the Olympics, then there's only one thing that you need to worry about doing, and that is eat healthy food. Uh, Dr. John Berardi, uh, who started Precision Nutrition, uh, which is one of the most successful nutrition coaching companies on the planet, if not the most uh, effective uh, nutrition coaching company on the planet, did his PhD mm. at Western and then down in Texas. Uh, brilliant gentleman taught me something, and I just love this concept. And the concept is really it's the myth of game day nutrition. And that happens when people, and I've leveraged this so often, because people have, often ask me exactly what you just said, like, what do I eat before a workout? What do I eat before a game? And my response is, it like absolutely doesn't matter. And they're like, what? Because like, yeah. we have to eat. What do I eat the morning of my marathon? It doesn't yes, matter. Exactly. It's, totally, it, it, it's irrelevant because here's the game. The game is what you eat on a consistent basis over time. You eat five times a day, which you eat before and after workout. Sure, of course, it's going to make a difference, but your overall healthy eating pattern is going to determine your success. I'll take someone who eats well for six months and then has a Big Mac the morning of a marathon versus someone that has a Big Mac every single day, not to pick on McDonald's, but I'll pick on them because <laughs> their food is pretty brutal for you. Um, yeah. Right. So if you eat badly for six months and then you know eat well on the, on the day of the event, you're going to do a certain performance but if you take the same individual and they eat well for six months but then don't necessarily eat perfectly on the day of the race they're going to by far outdo the person um, mm. who you know doesn't eat well and then tries to do everything right on game day so i believe that we need to keep things super simple with nutrition as well eat real food that you recognize as food eat a lot of plants eat the rainbow of plants the more plants you eat the longer that you live not to mention its positive effect upon our environment and uh, climate change. Uh, don't eat anything processed that comes out of a box, for example. Minimize your sugar intake. Uh, eat with family and friends. Make the food yourself uh, and take it with you. So all of these factors contribute to our ability to eat healthy food. And what I've discovered is that 
there's a huge trend amongst world-class performing athletes to eat really, really healthy, unprocessed foods uh, that you just simply describe as healthy food. So what do you eat before workout? Healthy food, you know, lots of plants, a little bit of protein, some super healthy fats, largely anti-inflammatory, which is lots of amazing multicolored vegetables. You can use fruit to power your workouts and water to hydrate during those workouts, avoiding sports drinks, avoiding all of the packaged gels. Uh, and that's really the key to success long-term is the healthier that you can eat. Overall, the healthier you're going to be in your life and the healthier you are in your life, the better you're going to perform as an athlete. So I think that's the, the approach that I've seen a lot of world-class athletes adopting. And I think it's a huge improvement over the, uh, I would suggest probably misguided sports nutrition guidelines of, that have been pushed at athletes for the last mm. 20 years. So, right. yeah. So again, it's a, you know, simplify. So it's not, oh my goodness, I need to, to have protein and after I need to have like uh, pineapple or watermelon. Or, well, uh, those it, will it, help you. Like it's, there's certain, let's take watermelon, for example, has citrulline in it. And we know that citrulline decreases post-exercise muscle soreness. So there's always things that can tweak and to, and to benefit you. But if we just think about it, like watermelon's a fruit. Eating fruit around exercise is probably a good idea. Like we, this is not any sort of rocket science revelation yeah, for anyone, right? Exactly. Like you get put kids out in the park and let them exercise for a couple of hours, and you throw a watermelon out, they're going to run over and eat all of it because, it, like we instinctively we know those sorts of things. We also know that protein is used to build muscle tissue. So if you do a good workout, some protein after your exercise is probably going to give you the tools that you need to rebuild your body. Fat is used to build brain tissue and and all the nerves that connect your brain to your body. So that's wonderful. Carbohydrates are used to fuel your body. Like we know so much about these uh, macro molecules that can be so good for us. Um, Dr. Dan Moore from the University of Toronto did some research that showed that it, unless you're training twice a day, you don't really need to worry about that 20-minute window after your exercise. If you have two workouts on the same day, then yes, the 20-minute window where you want to be eating right after your workout probably will help you. But if... Mm you're only training uh, once a day, then it doesn't really make okay. that much of a difference. So you don't need to worry about that one. But honestly, it's eat real food that you recognize as food. Eat mostly plants. Eat as organic as you can afford. Eat the rainbow. Don't eat processed foods. Make the food yourself. Eat it with family and friends and you win 99% of the time. Wonderful. And I think in, in, in your book, The Ripple Effect, I, you do recommend a cookbook. I, I believe it's called The Plant Power. Yeah, The Plant yes. Power Way by Rich Roll is, is a go-to. Also, Oh, She Glows by Angela Lydon oh, uh, are okay. both uh, amazing ones to, to use. Um, if you have teenagers and they're struggling to eat well or are not into it, you can get Thug Kitchen, which is full of swearing. Uh, <laughs> and really, 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 really hilarious. And it seems to, teens seem to latch onto that one. So you can try that one if you, uh, you want to okay. make some colorful language foods. Yeah. All right. Okay, so one more book to get. Wonderful. You yeah. also talk about how mental health is just as important as physical health in our journey towards a high-performance life. What are some of the techniques we can use to deal with stress and stay focused mm. or overcome some of the setbacks that we, that we have? Oh, my gosh. You know, we could talk for hours just about that one, and I'm learning so much about that as I go through this journey myself. And... Uh, so we'll break it out just in general when we're talking about just general mental health, mm -hmm. uh, just being mentally healthy in general. We're just looking to build an active lifestyle. We're looking to sleep well, eat healthy foods. And if you have a healthy lifestyle that sets you up for having the highest possible chance of, uh, of really living a, a mentally healthy life. So getting exercise, eating well, get, getting lots of sleep. Those are all really important things. Very specifically, it appears that mindfulness and meditation are powerful tools to also mm -hmm. improve mental health, decrease our risk of uh, depression and anxiety. We've also learned that uh, 45 minutes of exercise three to five times a week is the optimal amount of exercise in order to give us the lowest mental health burden. So the lower our mental health burden, the better our mental health. So three, four, or five workouts a week, roughly 45 minutes, best possible uh, mental health outcomes. And when it comes to stress, we just want to be looking at stress management techniques like uh, deep breathing is a wonderful one. Mindfulness is very powerful. Getting into nature, 
Uh, yoga is phenomenal for that. Uh, having a transition ritual between work and going home where you take a, a break on the way home if you've had a super stressful day and go to a park and walk around a little bit before you walk into the house, uh, that can make a huge difference for you. We also know the power of community, having a good, strong community that you can rely upon, friends and family, for example, that you can have dinner with or you know, go socialize with or go for a walk with or any of those things are also uh, really powerful for us when it comes to optimizing our mental health. We all need to also understand that our mental health will improve or be worse. And that's a, nat that's a natural cycle of life. Sometimes we're excited, sometimes we're anxious. Uh, sometimes we feel happy and other times we feel depressed. It's when we are depressed or anxiety consistently for extended periods of time that we really want to try to get some help as quickly as we possibly can. I learned that from Dr. Bill Hallett, uh, who's one of Canada's leading sport, uh, mental health experts. And he was saying that you know, until we get to six months of depression in a row, that, that's when mental illness really starts. So the sooner that we can intervene and get healthy from a mental perspective, the easier it is to do so. And so if you're feeling depressed, it's a normal part of life. However, if it's consistent over time, that's when we really need to be thinking about reaching out, uh, asking for help, and beginning to make some lifestyle changes to get mentally healthy as well as physically healthy. But you're not alone. And we know that 20% of the population is a will access the medical system at some point because of a mental health related challenge. And so we really want to make sure that we break down that stigma, understand that it's okay to talk about our mental health. It's totally fine to have depression, to be anxious. And that when that happens, we need to be reaching out and talking about it and not worrying about what other people are going to think and just get the help that we need and, and hopefully uh, alleviate it as quickly as possible because the sooner that you deal with it, the easier it is to do so. Mm. Thank you. Good advice. Yes, absolutely. It's so important to create that space where people feel they can talk about it and realize that they're not alone. And there's different techniques and strategies like the ones you mentioned that we can use to help us through the different emotions that we may be feeling. And the one that you hit on around community is one that I, that I believe we underestimate and the power mm -hmm. of connection, especially in uh, an age where we're so connected to our phones. So connection is not texting someone, <laughs> it's that face-to-face -face interaction that you have with others that is so critical for our day-to-day -day lives and we, we don't tap into often enough because we're right, so to our devices. I'll, I'll clarify that a little bit if I may. I learned yeah. this from Dr. John Izzo who wrote a, um, a really interesting series of books. You can check out his website if you want to learn more. But um, if we are positively interacting on our devices, then that actually will improve your mental health. If you're mm -hmm. texting with your friends, if you're messaging with your friends, if you're congratulating people, if you are uh, communicating with your friends and family, that actually improves mental health. doesn't matter if it's on your device, but if you are texting, it's not as effective as if you send an audio message and the audio messages are not as effective if you send video messages. Right. So if you can FaceTime people directly, that's better than just sending a text. Although the text mm. will actually improve your mental health, as long as you are positively interacting with the people around us. The mental health problems when it comes to using our devices appear to be as a result of passive consumption. If you are passively scrolling through social media, looking at other people's posts, that is what typically will cause mm. uh, a negative reaction, especially when it comes to uh, depression, comparing yourself to others, anxiety, external validation. Mm -hmm. And so when we're positively interacting with people, even positively commenting on social, hey, like, right. hey, it's great to see you on vacation again, right? Like whatever <laughs> it happens to be. Um, maybe not that one, but you get the point. Um, that is what, it's the pot. If we can use our devices to positively interact, to learn, yes. to uh, complete projects, then I'm a huge fan. If we're passively scrolling through them, that is problematic. That's where we need to be very, very careful. And not to say you shouldn't, you know, check out what your friends are doing from time to time. Mm -hmm. But if you find yourself uh, scrolling through Instagram at three o'clock in the morning, that that can be a, a bit of an issue. Yeah, and we don't we don't recognize sometimes how much time has passed with us scrolling through our Instagram or whatever we may be looking. Oh my at gosh, on. have you used the screen time <laughs> measurement? <laughs> yeah. Like, check no, that out. I That's haven't. Oh well, yeah, turn that on. It's terrifying. I probably like, wouldn't want to know. Seriously, <laughs> it's oh, well, I, I didn't know until I yeah. looked, and I was, I, at the end of the week, I got a report, and I was like, "What? Six hours a day? Like." Yeah, it's crazy. Mind oh. you, I have like iPhone, iPad, computer, and it's yeah. all hooked up to that. So yeah. I know, but it's really <laughs> led me to understand that, you know, it's an issue for all of us. So we yeah. need to be careful of that. Great idea. I'm gonna have to look that up. 
In your most recent book, The Focus Effect, you talk about how we're feeding into a cult of busyness and living in the midst of a distraction epidemic. You say that we all have become numb to the presence of distraction in our lives, which is what we were just discussing. Now, what are some of the top three strategies that you can share with us on how to focus more effectively? Yeah, I think that focus is the fundamental currency of our era right now. And uh, we live in an area where devices and apps are being designed that are uh, scientifically designed to capture and hold our attention. Uh, and again, I'm not anti-social media. I'm not anti-device. I'm looking over here because my phone is like, you know, way <laughs> over there, which is as far away as I could put it before we started this call. Um, I'm not anti-phone. I'm not anti-device. I'm not anti-social media. The Me Too movement happened on social uh, the Arab Spring happened on Twitter. Like, I'm, I think that when used properly, these are game-changing, positive uh, devices and technologies that will improve our life. But when we're constantly distracted, when I'm being buzzed by my watch, when audio notifications are going off on my email, when I'm getting notifications, those little red dots on, you know, all of the social media messages that I've gotten while I'm trying to get something done, that is a huge problem because we know that there's something called attention residue, uh, which is the first identified by a researcher at the University of Wisconsin. I'm blanking on her name right now, but um, uh, it, it's in that, it's in the book and I'll look it up at some point. If anyone wants to know, just message me and I'll, I'll look that up and get that reference for you. But attention residue is basically that when we are distracted, it takes a certain period of time for us to get back into a flow state, back into the zone. So you can sort of imagine this if you're reading a great book, and you're really into the book and you're into the story and you're fully visualizing what the author, the imagery that the author has created and then somehow you get distracted, how long does it take you to get back into that state where you're fully immersed in the book again? Some, for some people it's a minute, three minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes, um, the tension residue is left over and that costs us a lot of time. Uh, and also engagement in whatever it is that we are doing. So for example, if you're having dinner with your family, please put your phones away. Mm -hmm. If you're meeting with a client or for teachers, if you're meeting with a student or if you're a student and you're trying to learn something, put the devices away and communicate with people afterwards. Make the people that you're with the most important people. And the second that you have a device out on the table, it captures a percentage of your attention, even if it's turned over. So I think a powerful message that you can send to people when you meet with them, family, friends, clients, students, is to put away the device. And I think all of us need to turn off our audio notifications on all of our devices forever, because every <laughs> single time that that audio notification goes off, your attention is captured, plus the attention of everyone within earshot. So suddenly your, whoever's contacting you is getting the attention of everyone else and distracting everyone in your environment from what it is that they're supposed to be doing. Uh, and again, I'm not anti-device. I actually have like one, two, three, four devices within arm's reach so that I can do what it is that I do during the course of the day. But all my notifications are off. And so when I, che I check, when I want to check, uh, and that way I can be super efficient. I can block my email, which I do twice a day, not all day long. Mm -hmm. uh, I can block my social media and I do a ton of social media, but I do that at 15 minutes at the end of every single day, check messages and respond to people. I auto-program everything months in advance. So it's really just about getting control of our attention and defending that attention. Just like you have to defend the last hour of your day, you need to just you need to defend your attention and all the distractions that may be coming at you so that you can do your most important work, not your busy work, which is the right. Eisenhower principle right. of busy versus important. So um, yeah, all of that will make a will make a huge difference for people. This also makes me think of the complaints we hear very often. People say, you know, I'm doing a presentation, we're in the boardroom, there's somebody on their phone and they're not listening and it diminishes my presence because they're somewhere else and, and it's very distracting for the speaker. Also, we hear from everybody else who's sitting around the boardroom table, even if they're not on their phone, but that person is watching their phone, reading their emails or texts that they're getting. It's distracting for everybody in the room, even though you're not the one using it. Just the fact that someone else is, is enough to distract you. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more for sure. Sorry, Sandra, what you're saying? Oh, no, I was going to say, I love how you phrase that attention is our most important currency and remembering mm -hmm. that as we're going mm -hmm. through our day, even out of respect for others that yes, we're interacting absolutely. with. Yeah, 100% agree with all of that. And I think there's sort of two sides of that equation. As a speaker, it is your responsibility to run a meeting that is efficient, effective, and on point. Similarly, when you're doing a presentation, it's your responsibility to deliver a good enough presentation that you capture everybody's attention. Um, if I'm speaking and everyone's on their phone, that I believe is on me because uh, I'm not delivering a message that's either powerful enough, clear enough. I'm not convinced. You know, I'm, I'm not doing my job to capture everyone's attention and hold it. However, if you are in a meeting, I think that it is fair to ask people to put away their devices that you can mm -hmm. all work Salute together it. to get the job done as fast as you possibly can so that you can get out of that meeting and back into you know, all of the, the actual productive work. So it's two sides of the equation, but I couldn't agree with you. Couldn't agree with you more on that particular issue. Now, I believe all of us have good intentions and want to live a healthier lifestyle mentally, emotionally, and physically. However, it can feel overwhelming when we think about where to start and for it to be sustainable. So what advice do you have for our listeners on ways to start living healthier if it's something that they want to work on? Yeah, so this is a really interesting uh, idea. And I believe that sometimes there's just such overwhelm. There's so much information. There's so many things coming at us. There's so many nutrition studies that are in the news. There's products that are being pushed at us. There's apps that are coming at you. Like there's so much information, it's almost paralyzing. Uh, and so I would love people to consider just being 1% better every single day. 1% uh, of your diet is a 20 calorie shift for most people. That's like half a packet of sugar. It's almost nothing. It's sort of like don't drink. Uh, like if you have coffee in the morning, just use a little bit less sugar, use a little bit less milk. And eventually, you know, maybe just drink black coffee instead of with cream and sugar. And there you're done. Like you've made your game. Uh, a 15 minute walk is a little bit less than 1% of your day, but it can decrease your risk of cancer uh, almost 40%. We know that as little as three minutes a day of meditation has positive benefits. So if you can get to 20 minutes, you'll radically change the white matter tracks inside your brain and improve communication between networks inside the brain. So there's so many little things that we can do that are very, very simple. And we might think that they're not powerful enough because they're so small, but in aggregate over time, that's what can make a huge difference. So Team Sky is a cycling team. They've won the Tour de France a number of times. Uh, and one of the things that one of the principles in which they work is to seek out multiple 1% gains. So they might change the tires that are on the bike to be 1% uh, more uh, uh, increased wattage, for example. So a little bit more power, decreased rolling resistance by getting the pressure in the tire absolutely perfect before every single race. They might put boots on the riders uh, that make the wind uh, around the feet just a little bit less resistive. Um, they might change the position of the elbows so that instead of cycling with your arms out here, you cycle with your arms in here and decrease the wind resistance just a little bit. And when you add all of those up, that's a 3% gain and suddenly no one can keep up to you. So it's these little tiny wins that when you stack them on top of each other and you're consistent with them over a period of time, it can make the massive difference in our life. And I also think it makes it eminently achievable because we all can meditate for three minutes a day. You can do that lying in bed right before you fall asleep. You can all go for a 15 minute walk at lunch. We can all do that. There's all sorts of little things that we can, you can do, eat, eat a vegetarian meal once a week. You know, like that's mm -hmm. little, a little tiny thing that we can all easily do that will add uh, tons to our own lives in terms of our own physical and mental health. And in many cases, improve the lives of those around us as well. For example, one vegetarian meal a week would decrease uh, global warming and, and all of the greenhouse gas emissions enough to probably hit all of our emissions targets. So by just thinking about things a little bit differently and doing micro things at a time consistently, we can ultimately change ourselves and our communities and, and the world. And I love that about, both about the ripple effect and the focus effect. Throughout both books, you have the 1% tips in there that people can take away from. So I always refer mm -hmm. back to them because you're right. Those micro changes that we make, make it feel more achievable and we're able to sustain it over the long term. And it adds up on aggregate. 100%. That's the whole yeah. idea. And just making it achievable and accessible and um, easy for people to do. And those little 1% wins, if you add them up, can make a huge difference in your life. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And talking about uh, making it sustainable, 
um, I signed up <laughs> to the Ripple Effect online course <laughs> by Dr. Oh, well. Cool. <laughs> and you. I'm loving it. And I must say, there, like, well, so there is a module for each of the core concepts that we discussed today. And this course is to help us perform better. And, and I love how you say it's supposed to make this the best year of your life. I, I'm finding it really motivating, especially mm. when I'm on the treadmill. Oh, great. Uh, I, I am on the treadmill. I watch one of your videos. And I must say that it gives me that little boost that I need to go a little further. And maybe an incline a little higher. <laughs> and is that 1%? That, you know, like, no. it's just like, yeah. Can you uh, tell our listeners um, what to expect? from this comprehensive program because I'm, I'm loving it. And, and I think if we want something that's sustainable and understand the importance of our sleep and moving and eating well and all of that, like, so can you uh, perhaps share with our listeners with how the program is built and what they can expect from it? Sure. So I do a ton of speaking. Um, after all, many of the speaking events, people were asking me, you know, Greg, you know, do you have anything like a course? Or do you do you do public workshops, which I don't, and I didn't. Um, so now I decided to uh, take some speeches that I've done, chop them all up to create videos, link those to podcasts on a ton of different topics, and then write articles on all of that. So what we did was we built about sixty posts uh, that contain video, audio, and, and articles, plus workbooks, and built that all into digital training. And that digital training is in the form of the Ripple Effect course. We're building one for the Focus Effect as well, mm -hmm. uh, which should be ready relatively soon. And we found the, effect, like, the uptake has been crazy and the engagement has been awesome. So I'm pretty confident that it's helping people. I'm really proud of it. Uh, if you complete a section, you also get some bonus videos from all the Titan talks that I did. Yes. Um, and so we've put included all of that stuff as well, just to keep people going and give them a bit of extra information to keep them uh, engaged or a little bit, you know, provide a little bit of a reward when you get through one of the modules. Uh, so if anyone wants to check that out, you can just go to my company website, which is wellsperformance.com and click on digital training and you'll find all of that stuff there. And anyone who wants to join in, I'd be honored and privileged and like super happy if they do. And we'll support you on your journey as much as you can. Mm -hmm. As much as we can, yeah. It, it's been yeah. fabulous for me. I'm really, really enjoying it. And you are a very engaging speakers. All of the videos are really inspiring and motivating. And and you also have a new book. Right, yeah. We just mentioned that as we were jumping on the call. So thanks for mentioning it. And I took the summer of 2019 and worked like crazy because uh, what I saw as I was traveling around the world and speaking and talking to people is that when I speak about the ripple effect, everyone's excited and they, it makes sense because it's simple. It's like sleep more, eat better, you know, just get some exercise, focus and concentrate to improve your mindset. Uh, but the question that everyone was asking me afterwards was like, Greg, I'm so busy. How do I do this? And just don't have time. Mm. And then when I matched that issue, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do this with everyone was exhausted. Everyone's fatigued. Everyone's tired. Uh, we're all so the burnt. The stats on burnout are frightening. I realized I needed to do something to help people to actually implement the ideas in their life. And so the new book is called Recharge, and it's all about how you can take micro breaks to incorporate these ideas into your life. So how do you actually rest? How do you actually relax? How do you actually recharge? How do you take a vacation? Um, where, how, and when should you include a little bit of breathing, deep breathing to, to take a break during the course of the day? How do you implement mindfulness? Uh, and so we've matched that up with the different brainwave states that you need to learn, uh, that you need to execute in order to be able to be creative, to learn, to solve problems, and to ultimately get into the zone or flow states, and then really experience life at the highest possible level. So it's just all about recovery and regeneration for all of us that we can recharge a bit more, feel a little bit better and actually put all of the principles from the ripple effect and the focus effect into practice mm. in our life, despite how busy we are and the crazy lives that we're all living. Well, that's excellent because I think like knowing how to uh, put all of this learning in, in, into practice 
you know, it's a, we can read, you know, like I, I, I know some people, they have a PhD in golf literature, right? <laughs> but then yeah. you've got to go out there and, and play yeah. the game. So, yeah. um, so thank you so much. I, I, I'd like to wrap up with what we call our lightning round. Great. And uh, very quickly, a recent book or author was impacted how you see the world. Um, I have a stack of them over here <laughs> and I'm sort of scanning and looking and, uh, you know what? I'm going to go get one. Hang on. It's really interesting. Okay. This is good. Wait, here it comes. <laughs> I'm coming back. That's the one. Oh, so this is Todd Herman. Mm -hmm. the alter ego, sorry. The alter ego effect. Oh. And well, there we go. And so Todd is an incredible, uh, psychologist and he has worked with some of the world's top athletes and what he teaches people is to have an alter ego and so uh it's the alter ego is the characterization of who you should be in performance moments so serena williams for example when she plays tennis has a psychology of an alter ego that she drops into when she steps onto the court that could be superman it could be batgirl it could be iron man it could be the hulk like whatever mm. um So he encourages you to sort of build this persona that you need in order to get into the state that you need to be in to perform at your best in moments that matter to you the most. So, and that could be like the calm, relaxed person. If you're interfacing with your kids, for example, it could be the energized person. If you're about to step on stage and, and do a speech or, uh, you know, the, the analytical, but calm person that you might want to be if you're a teacher. So all sorts of different states that you can get into and just a little mind hack that you can use to enter into that state a little bit more easily. So that's the coolest book I've read recently and one that I think people could probably pretty, uh, probably benefit a lot from. All right. Okay. Alter ego effect. Habit or skill most people don't know about you? Um, habit or skill. So I paddleboard a ton. That's sort of my my passion. Mm. I love being out on the water. Uh, I was out this week. It was super cold. I definitely shouldn't have been out there. Uh, <laughs> but it was sort of, you know, um, a little bit of risk, which which I kind of like. So uh, yeah, paddleboarding is my my new thing. I'm trying to learn how to paddle better. I'm trying to learn how to move around on the board. I'm trying to learn how to control the, the board and the waves a little bit. So yeah, that's my my new thing. Nice. Favorite place to go on vacation? So a few years ago, Judith and I were sitting down and we were, it was early December and we were so tired because we had two little kids at the time. We still have two little kids, but they were super little. <laughs> um, but at the same time, we were looking for vacation spots and we were scanning the Caribbean and we were just looking at Bermuda. We were like Florida, but everything around the December holidays is so expensive. Yeah. And so to, you know, to go to like an all, anyway, it's just, it was crazy. And so we couldn't really figure anything out that was going to work for us. So um, I was flipping through Outside Magazine, which is my favorite magazine, and I saw a little tiny note on the bottom of one of the pages for a new surf camp in Nicaragua. Uh, and, you know, Nicaragua is pretty hardcore. It's, you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. under, underdeveloped country so far. It's right near Costa Rica, so it's beautiful, but it's just Costa Rica 30 years ago in terms of its development. So I figured it was either going to be the greatest vacation we've ever had or we're going to have to immediately turn around and pull right back to the airport and it was going to be an expensive flight but it turns out it was an incredible spot we found it a beautiful surf camp uh, right near five beaches on the pacific coast of nicaragua wow um we've been there a bunch of times you have horseback riding mountain biking through the jungle there's monkeys everywhere birds parrots like uh, some snakes but whatever um <laughs> and so we go there quite often we're heading back there again in January, uh, hoping that the political situation in Nicaragua stabilizes. We haven't been for the last probably 18 months because of the uh, political issues down there at the moment, but mm -hmm. we're hoping that it stabilizes so we can go back soon. Wonderful. What makes you the most hopeful about the future? Greta, Greta Thunberg, you know, yes. this young woman oh, who's sort of taking over the world yes. at the moment. And I'm just so thrilled with her. I love her and I love her resilience. I love the way that she's uh, sort of putting people in their place when they go after her about, mm -hmm. um, you know, her differences. And she's so strong and confident and well-spoken and passionate and emotional and on point. And I love the fact that she's uh, defending science 
uh, and mobilizing the children of the world to do what we all need to do as fast as possible, which is to address climate change as quickly as we possibly can. So she's making me hopeful and she's an incredible role model for my daughter who's nine uh, mm. and my son who's four, although Adam's a little bit young to sort of get it at the moment, but Ingrid is latching onto that stuff. And uh, you know, I think that they can be a powerful force of change and we need to support them as much as possible because we certainly blew it in our generation. So now it's That's our right. responsibility to help the young ones uh, and for us to make those changes as quickly as possible because we're the ones that can make it with them uh, coming along quickly into into the world. Yes, she really stepped in and she truly is a, a role model and inspiration, not only for younger people, but for all of us. 100%, uh, I would agree with yeah. that. Thank you so much, Dr. Wells, for joining us this morning. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and I'm committing to getting more <laughs> consistent at defending <laughs> my last hour before yeah. bed <laughs> and always learn so much from talking to you. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. Yeah, my pleasure. I love chatting to you guys too. Thank you for all your support over the years. And it's great to take some time to have a one-on-one -on -one chat, which we don't often get a chance to do at those events. So yeah. I'm honored and privileged to take the time to be with you. It's, it's been really, really wonderful. Thank you. And we look forward to your new book coming out. Right on. Me too. Can't wait to get it out. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank much. You. Right. Bye. Thank take you. Care. Mm -hmm. Bye. 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 We invite everyone to subscribe to Dr. Wells' podcast and sign up for the Ripple Effect online course and make this the best year of your life. All the details can be found in the show notes for today's episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to rate and review our podcast in the Apple or Google Podcast Store. Additionally, we are excited to give you the chance to win a copy of one of Dr. Greg Wells' books, The Ripple Effect and The Focus Effect. Here's how to enter. Head over to our Instagram page at Corporate Class, follow us, and like the Ripple Effect post. Comment on the post sharing a key insight you took away from listening to our interview with Dr. Wells. One lucky winner will be chosen at random from the comments below. Good luck. All of the details can be found in the show notes for today's episode. Every morning, set your intentions toward your dreams. Some may refer to goals. We like the word dreams. It sounds more exciting and not so hard to think about. We hope to meet you in person one day at one of our workshops, or you may even decide that private coaching is more for you. We encourage you to go to our website at corporateclassinc.com for additional resources, blogs, and videos that you may find to help enhance your confidence and your presence. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast. It's complimentary. And write a review. Thank you for listening to Power Up Your Presence podcast, the passion, the presence, the power. Until next time, power up, step up, lead up.